Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Worship Center in Brighton, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit faithworshipcenter.org. Tonight we're going to be continuing our teaching series on servant leadership. Servant leadership. Now, For part five of our series on servant leadership, I've decided to teach on some of the challenges of ministry leadership. Now, really for this topic, we could do a whole separate series on this topic. Part one, part two, part three, part 100, part 1000. What am I saying? That in ministry that you will face many different kinds of challenges. Before I begin tonight, let's just ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus, God. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I ask that you would anoint me to minister to your people, Lord, that you would use your word, God, to help develop us, God, into leaders that please you, Lord, that can effectively reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and everybody said amen Amen. and amen. Now, throughout my five years of seminary, I studied a lot of theology. Spent five years in seminary, completed my master's degree, learned a lot from working alongside of a lot of wonderful leaders, but I found out that the quickest way to learn is by immersion. Now, pardon the lack of a better illustration, but if you ever get dropped off in the middle of the wilderness, you will be forced to figure out how to survive. You will learn very quickly what works and what does not work. And really, nothing makes me laugh more than seeing individuals out there lecture every pastor in church on how they should and should not operate a ministry when they themselves have never built or led a ministry that's having any kind of significant impact. I actually encourage those individuals to go out and try because I think it would be a great learning experience. Whenever you go into ministry and when you go into full-time ministry and you see all of the challenges that come with full-time ministry, it makes you a lot more gracious and a lot less critical toward other pastors and leaders. At least it should. Now, for the sake of time, I've asked myself the question, what are some of the biggest challenges in ministry leadership? There's a lot of different things uh, that we could be dealing with, but what are some of the biggest challenges in ministry? Now, I know that there are some of you out there who might be shocked to hear that ministry has significant challenges. Maybe you thought it was full of applause and recognition and cool friends and fame and popularity and influence and likes and follows, but I'm sorry to have to break the ice today and to inform you that the greater the call, the greater the opposition, the greater the challenges, and ultimately the greater the need for the wisdom of God on how to manage everything. I believe that the higher the trees, the stronger the winds. The more people you are reaching, the more challenges you will face, the more critics you will have, and the more problems that you will have to solve. 
It's been well said that when you go into ministry leadership, you become a CPS. What is a CPS? A CPS is a chief problem solver. A chief problem solver. When you become a leader, you become a CPS. You become a chief problem solver. But I want you to take heart tonight because if you weren't accomplishing anything, then you wouldn't have to deal with anything. So it's really a blessing in disguise because those problems are simply opportunities for God to turn around and use for his glory. Now, challenges just simply come with the, te- the territory, but with the help of God's grace, you can handle it. I believe that if God has called you to something, that God will call you, th- uh, he will give you the strength to get through whatever that might be. If God has called you, then he will equip you and he will prepare you to deal with whatever he has called you to deal with. Now, one of the things I want to address, one of the things, one of the challenges in ministry is dealing with criticism. Dealing with criticism, this is something that can be a great challenge and it can be a great struggle and yet it is inevitable in ministry. Criticism is the act of judging unfavorably or fault finding. Again, it's the act of judging unfavorably or fault finding. Now, let me start off by saying this, that we should never allow the praises of men to get to our head and we should never allow the criticism of men to get to our heart. I'll say that again, that we should never allow the praises of men to get to our head. In other words, we should always stay humble and we should never allow the criticism of men to get to our heart. I believe that your, your critics are just there to make astrologists look accurate. Amen. (laughs) If you didn't have critics, it's your critics that make them look accurate. You thought astrologists were inaccurate. Just take a look at your critics. Now, biblical criticism is grounded in love. I'll say that again, that biblical criticism is grounded in love. Ephesians chapter four and verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love. So that should be our primary guide uh, in criticism. Godly criticism is true and loving. Again, it's true and loving. It comes from a humble, caring heart that wishes the best for the other person. I'll say that, that again, that biblical criticism comes from a humble, caring heart that wishes the best for the other person. It is not bitter, condescending, insulting, or cold-hearted. Again, it's not bitter, condescending, insulting, or cold-hearted. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 says that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness instructing those who are in opposition. Again, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness instructing those who are in opposition. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7 exhorts us that love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so criticism, if it is loving, will express those attributes. Now, I made a statement on social media yesterday that rudeness is not boldness. Again, rudeness is not boldness. Now, 
some, and we can go to the passage actually, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 6. First, you can go to uh, King James Version, and then we'll look at New King James. But 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 6, some people have taken this verse out of context and really used it to justify rude behavior. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 and verse 6, I'm, I know it takes him a while to switch over, uh, it, but it says, but though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Again, but though I be rude in speech. Now, there have been people that have literally taken that one word, rude, and tried to use it to justify uh, unchristlike behavior and presentation of the word of God. Now, uh, eventually he'll get it up there on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 6. Uh, but that word rude there uh, in the Greek, it's important. That's, that's one thing it's important to do a word study when you don't know what a word means. Now, when you do translation comparison, you'll see there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 6 that in there it's translated as unlearned or unskilled. Now, when you look at the Greek word, it's the Greek word idiotes. Now, I need to be careful because it's very similar to the Spanish word idiotas, which means idiot. So I'm going to try not to say that. Idiotes, which means unskilled and unlearned. And so it's also important to look at passages in context because every verse is in a chapter, every chapter is in a book. And so you've got to look at it in context. So when you look at this verse in context, uh, there were false teachers that were influencing the church of Corinth. And so the apostle Paul was saying to the church of Corinth, he was saying in comparison to them, I'm not eloquent. I'm, I'm not trained in speech. I'm not skilled in speech, uh, but I have the knowledge of the word of God. And so Paul was not justifying rude behavior, being brash and, and cold hearted and unchristlike. There is never an excuse to be cold hearted and unchristlike presentation is just as important as the truth that we preach. Presentation is a seed for acceptance. The way that you say something often will determine whether or not it's received. And some people think nobody wants to hear the truth. Sometimes it's not that people don't want to hear the truth, but how are we presenting the truth? Are we presenting the truth in love? Are we presenting the truth with care? Are we presenting the truth with compassion? Because even the convicting things, even when you're preaching uh, hell high and you're preaching and defining what sin is, you ought to do it with so much love and so much heart and so much compassion that those who are bound by sin know that you truly care about them, that you truly love them. Paul said to speak the truth in love, to speak with grace. Anytime you speak, the grace of God ought to be flowing in your heart and flowing in your life. Leading and guiding every word that you say, the way we say things, it matters. The way that we say things can, can, can ultimately determine whether or not somebody accepts the truth or rejects the truth. Um, for me, before becoming a pastor, I did full-time evangelism, uh, preached in over 100 churches around the country and countries and really all over the place. But uh, when I became a pastor it really, it changed my approach and it really took the edge off in many ways because um, when you preach in different churches, 
Um, you know, if you offend somebody, you know, no big deal. You know, you move on and, you know, everybody forgets about it. But, you know, when you have people that are coming to your church, you want to give what's actually going to help them. Not, it's not to uh, build up yourself and make yourself look, you know, however you want to present yourself. My question anytime I preach is what can I actually give to these people that is genuinely going to help them? What is actually going to help them where they are right now, what they're going through right now, whether they're lost or they're saved? I want to give what's actually going to help those people in that moment at that time. And so it really, it took the edge off in many different ways and it gave me a, a greater uh, care for people and, and a genuine uh, care for people. And so it's important how we say things. It's uh, important how we uh, deal with certain things. And so Paul, he said uh, he was untrained in speech. So uh, that word rude there isn't how we think of it in English. It actually means untrained. Now, it's been well said that pride is concerned with who is right, but humility is concerned with what is right. Again, pride is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right. I believe that a healthy leader is not consumed with who is right. A healthy leader is more consumed with what is right. That should be our driving factor. I say it all the time. I don't care about being the one who gets it right. I just want to make sure I get it right. And so uh, that's really the difference. Now, biblical criticism is helpful, it's loving, and it's based on truth. Again, again, biblical criticism is helpful, loving, and based on truth. Correction is to come from love and not from a sour personality. I'll say that again, that correction is to come from love and not from a sour personality. Have you ever, uh, you know, had somebody say, I'm being persecuted, you know? It's like, no, you're not being persecuted. You're just weird. You deserve to be persecuted. I'm just kidding. Now, sometimes it's just a sour personality that we have, and it just it pushes people away because it's not the love and life of Christ is flowing through us, and nobody wants to be around a critical, sour personality. And so, uh, again, uh, correction is to come from love. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says that the Spirit wants to produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so if criticism cannot be expressed with the fruit of the Spirit, then it's better left unsaid. Now, in ministry, you will deal with all sorts of different kinds of criticism. And, you know, honestly, my best coping, uh, coping mechanism for criticism is just to laugh, honestly. <clears throat> Sometimes it'll be like 7 o'clock at night, and I, just, I think about, you know, criticism, and I just bust up laughing, you know. It's funny to me. Um, somebody uh, a week or two ago, there was literally a picture, uh, you know, from the church here, and I was wearing uh, gray trousers and uh, a black, uh, you know, pullover shirt, sweater, whatever the case. And, and somebody said, "How about uh, dressing like a pastor and not a rock concert?" I'm sorry, but I've never read the book of uh, Pastor, chapter five and verse two, that tells a pastor how to dress. Maybe it's because it doesn't exist, and maybe that's just tradition or a preference that you've made a standard of righteousness, and that's not what we're about here. We believe in being presentable. We believe in being modest, modest but 
We don't have time for that. That's not what we're about. We're not about tradition. We're not about religion. That's not what we focus on. We focus on reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. We focus on lifting up the name of Jesus. And so you'll deal with all sorts of different kind of criticism, all sorts of different kinds of critics. And we'll talk about different kinds of criticism, healthy criticism and unhealthy criticism. Uh, Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of, of, an, of an enemy. Uh, but I want to focus on that faithful are the wounds of a friend. So I do believe that true friends will speak the truth even when it's hard to hear. And so there is healthy criticism in leadership uh, that we uh, should receive when it's in the right heart and it's in the right spirit. Now, Jesus, he was quite critical of the Pharisees and their hypocrisy, and he, he expressed his disapproval forcibly on several occasions. However, Jesus's criticisms were always truthful and ultimately loving. I'll say that again, that Jesus' criticisms, they were always based on truth and they were always loving. And so one of the things when it comes to criticism is that we have to make sure that criticism is based on truth. Criticism based on hearsay is not helpful. That's just gossip. I'll say that again, that criticism based on hearsay is not helpful. It's just gossip. And uninformed criticism usually winds up embarrassing the critic when the truth is revealed. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 13 says that he that answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. And the Pharisees, the, the self-righteous Pharisees, they criticized Jesus, Jesus based on their own faulty standards, but truth was not on their side. And so there is a, a biblical criticism. We can properly be critical of what the, the Bible is critical of. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says that scripture is profitable for reproof and correction. And so in other words, God's inspired words, it leads us to, to critically analyze everyday situations. Now, there's a difference between... Uh, critically analyzing things and having a critical spirit. I'll say that again, there's a significant difference between helping someone improve and having a critical spirit. The thing about a critical spirit is a critical spirit is never pleased. A critical spirit expects and finds disappointment uh, wherever it looks. Uh, they go, somebody goes from one church, they find all the problems and then they go to the next church and they find all the problems and then they go to the next church and they find all the problems. Could it be that you're the problem? Could it be that you're, once you walk in the door, that you're the one bringing all the problems? Could that, could that be the case? You, you see, if, if, uh, if the problem, you know, if you find a problem with everybody, usually the problem is us. And so, God is not the spirit of God that produces a critical spirit within us. Some people, they want you to be critical. I'm, I guard my heart from a critical spirit. Uh, some people feel in ministry that they have to be critical in order to gain approval because then people will think, oh man, they're taking a stand. Well, there's a difference between taking a stand for righteousness and having a critical spirit. Uh, being critical about everything. I Even people I know that 
I know they're not perfect. I'm not perfect, but I'm still, the Bible says to restore such one in a spirit of meekness. And so I'm not looking for something so I can attack them on social media and blast them on Facebook. That's not the spirit of God. That's not how the spirit of God works. And the more you go on in ministry, the more grace to whom much is given, much is required. The reason why I don't attack everybody is because I know that it's by the grace of God I am where I am today. It's only by the grace of God I am where I am today you know and something jumped out to me so strong this week I was thinking about Peter I was thinking about when Jesus was getting ready to get arrested and, and Peter he drew that sword and, and he attacked that soldier and cut off his ear and then Jesus corrected him and healed that soldier but it just jumped out to me about Peter that Peter he was on the right side but he had the wrong spirit he was on Jesus' side. He was doing something seemingly good, but he had the wrong attitude. And so it's not enough just to be on Jesus' side. It's not enough just, to, just to, to say the right thing. Are you, do you have the right spirit? Are you being led by the spirit in everything that you do? Because the end result should be to see more people come to Jesus Christ. That's our mission, and that is our goal. Uh, so, so a critical spirit is really opposite to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that talks about, that talks about love. A, a critical spirit, it, it arrogantly judges. It, it's easily provoked. It accounts for every wrong. And it never carries any, any hope of being pleased. Have you ever met people that no matter what you do, you know that there is absolutely nothing that you can do to please that individual? Some people, they're, they're just stuck in that, that toxin and, and it, you know, for me, I have to disconnect from that. And that's something in ministry that you learn to do is disconnect from toxic people because you got to keep your mind fresh and you got to keep your mind renewed and you got to be focused on the, kings, the, 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 the kingdom of God and not get caught up in all the issues, not get caught up in the problems. I, I've said it before, I'll say it again, that, that a true leader does not focus on the problems. A true leader acknowledges the problems, but then he focuses on the solution to the problems. You know, sometimes all people want to do is just talk about all the problems. I get tired of just hearing just talk about all the problems. I don't want to hear about all the problems. I want to hear about the solution to the problems. You can acknowledge the problem, but you can't stay there and you can't focus and dwell on that. As a leader, you're called to lead people to the solution. You're called to lead people to Jesus. He is the solution uh, to the problem. And so that kind of attitude, it damages the, the, really the critic more than anybody. And so we ought to always guard our heart from a critical uh, spirit. Now, when you get criticism, and as I've said, it, the more people you're reaching, the more influence you have, the more criticism uh, you'll get. And sometimes when you first see uh, criticism and you first hear criticism, especially when it's completely false, you know, um, sometimes the initial reaction is to, to jump up and defend yourself. And, and I have found that when emotions are high, that wisdom is low. I'll say that again. When emotions are high, wisdom is low. And so when you are triggered about something, it might not be a good time to go to social media. It might be a good time to, to just be quiet and say, Lord, I need you to give me your perspective on this so I can properly respond to this kind of thing, if he even wants you to respond to it at all. And so when emotions are high, wisdom is low. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says to keep your heart with all diligence, 
for out of it springs the issues, issues of life. Again, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul said, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praises, think on these things. This is what I want to think on. I want to keep my mind set on whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just and pure and lovely and of a good report and are praiseworthy. That's what I want to keep my mind on. You notice about that, that that none of those things that Paul mentioned there are negative things. None of of them are. Ultimately, they all point you to Jesus. Keep your mind on Jesus. Amen. Amen. So in ministry, how should you deal with criticism? Well, as I mentioned, there's two different kinds of criticism. There's destructive criticism, and then there's constructive criticism. Now, God, he will sometimes use constructive criticism to help us, but those with a uh, critical spirit, you can be as gracious as possible toward, but sometimes, oftentimes, they're better off just disregarded so that you can stay focused on the big picture, which is seeing lost, imperfect people become passionate, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that? Amen. <clears throat> now, one thing I'm a strong believer of is feedback. I like to hear healthy feedback. I believe that when you get healthy feedback from people, it's an opportunity to make improvement. Sometimes it will be helpful, sometimes it won't. But when people have the right heart and the same vision, then healthy, honest feedback can be a great opportunity to make significant improvement and have a greater impact in the kingdom of God. I've said it like this, that that leaders are learners. Leaders are always willing to learn. They never get stuck in a place where they think that they know it all, but they're always looking for what else they can learn, what, where all, what other areas they can grow in. <clears throat> it's been well said that you don't have to know it all. You just have to find people who do. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to know it all. And I'm glad that God sends us people that help in areas that you don't know. And another thing too is that oftentimes when there's issues in leadership, sometimes everybody can know about it, but the leader and nobody wants to tell the leader because they're, they're concerned. And so not only is it important to get feedback from people, especially when you have a team of people that are helping you, not only do they know about issues that you may not know about, but they're already thinking about solutions to those issues. And so when you can learn, uh, you know, I, I believe that God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. And as preachers, we're so often, or we're so used to preaching and talking, but there comes a time when we have to listen. There comes a time when we, God uses people and we should never close our heart off to God using other people, God uh, revealing things to us through other people. We should always keep our heart uh, open to that. And so when you get healthy feedback from people, you know, I believe that you've got to surround yourself with people that, you know, uh, they tell you the truth with respect, you know, in honor, but you got to have people that are truthful with you. You got to tell pe- you got to have people around you that will tell you, th- tell you the way things really are. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah. You know, sometimes uh, people can feel intimidated by having strong people around them 
but that's not actually a weakness. That's, that's not a threat. That's a strength for your ministry, and that's a, a strength to your organization. Because if you're the only one who can do anything, then you're going to be the lid on that organization, and that ministry will never be able to grow beyond you. But when you have other people that you trust, that you're able to trust, and you've given authority to, and you've given a sense of ownership and leadership to, you can accomplish so much more for the kingdom of God. And I believe that, that you can have control or you can have growth, but you cannot have both. That in leadership, you've got to get used to, to, to uh, delegating responsibility and authority. You do not have to have control to have influence. You don't have to control everything to have influence. And so the more you want to do, the more you want to accomplish for the kingdom of God, the more that you have to delegate. Now, another thing that I want to talk about is, is time management, because I believe in managing our time in ministry wisely. Is this too practical for you here tonight? You know, as I mentioned, I, I want to share both, you know, uh, verses that deal with leadership and practical side of leadership and things that uh, have helped me. But, you know, I believe that in manage, I believe in managing our time and ministry wisely. <clears throat> I believe that poor, poor time management results in well-intentioned leaders who consistently allow the urgent to overwhelm the important. <clears throat> I'll say that again, that poor time management and ministry it results in well-intentioned leaders who consistently allow the urgent to overwhelm the important. Sometimes in ministry, you can get so caught up with all the things that seem so urgent that you, you miss the things that are most important. And so I believe in prioritizing what we value. I believe that good time management uh, doesn't mean doing more, but that you do more of what matters most. I'll say that again, that good time management and ministry doesn't mean doing more, but that you do more of what matters most. It's been well said that the difference between the values you embrace and the life you live equals the frustration you experience. Again, the difference between the values you embrace and the life you live equals the frustration you will experience. In other words, if there's things that you value, but your life, you're not prioritizing those things and you're not accomplishing those things, it's going to be a very frustrating place to be. And so not only are there certain things that we ought to value in ministry, but we also ought to live those things out and prior, prioritize those things in our life. And, and sometimes in ministry, you have to say no to a lot of small things so you can say yes to a few big things. Sometimes in ministry, it can be hard to say no because you want to say yes to everything. It's in your nature, in ministry, and leadership. You want to get things done. And so anytime there's an opportunity uh, to do something, it makes you want to do something. But, but I'll say that again, that, that sometimes you've got to say no to a lot of small things so you can say yes to a few big things. And I've learned that just because you can do something does not mean that you should do something. That a need is not necessarily a calling. And so we've got to uh, delegate our time in ministry. And so if the core value in ministry is to reach people that no one is reaching, that means that we have to do things that no one is doing. I'll say that again, that if your core value, the core value of our ministry is souls. I've mentioned that before. It's reaching more souls 
for the kingdom of God. And so in order to reach people that nobody else is reaching, it means that you're going to have to do things that nobody else is doing. And that sometimes that you need to not do the things that everybody else is doing. And so as a leader, sometimes you've got to, uh, most of the time you have to step out of the flow and you've got to stay focused on your vision and you've got to stay focused on your values and you've got to stay focused on what God has called you to do. Another thing I want to talk about is avoiding burnout in ministry. <clears throat> avoiding burnout and, and maintaining our personal walk with Christ. And there's a couple different passages <clears throat> of scriptures, but <clears throat> one of them is Mary and Martha. You're familiar with Mary and Martha. Uh, you have Jesus there and you have Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. The Bible says just listening to Jesus speak. And then what you have Martha doing is you have her running to and fro. She was serving she, you could say she was in ministry. She was serving the Lord. But what's interesting is the Bible says that she was distracted with much serving, which in modern day vernacular, you could say she was distracted with her ministry. And we can allow our ministry to become a distraction from our personal relationship with Jesus. And Martha was all upset because here she is working. As I've said it before, that, that, that doing more, uh, it doesn't, it's not necessarily a good thing. Martha was doing more than Mary, but it wasn't a good thing. And Martha was upset with Mary because here I am doing all these things for God. And Mary's just sitting there resting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part and it shall not be taken from her. Just simply sitting at the feet of Jesus, resting and hearing his word. Another example is Mark chapter six, verses 30 and 31. Where in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 and 31, we see the apostles, they, they're gathered, they've gathered themselves around Jesus. And the Bible says here that they're telling him of all the things they had done and what they taught. But Jesus said to them, come ye yourselves into a desert place and rest a while. Come ye yourselves into a desert place and rest a while. It says that they were coming and going and that they didn't even make time to eat themselves. I've seen this out on the mission field. I've, <clears throat> I've been out on the mission field where, you know, and I, I kind of like rigorous schedules because I want to make things the most productive. But at the same time, I've learned to have a balance and I've learned to set boundaries because I've seen people in ministry, they just go and go and go and go. I remember, um, you know, seeing an evangelist who he, he was uh, traveling all over the country and, you know, he wasn't getting enough rest. And I remember him sharing how he passed out in the lobby of a church. And, you know, um, and I think there was a second time when he passed out when he was preaching. And he actually, you know, hit the drum cymbal on his way down. So his friend was saying he went out with a bang. But, you know, he, he tried to portray it as, well, this is just ministry. Well, that shouldn't be ministry because you, we ought to take care of ourselves and if we're faithful in ministry, but we're not being faithful to the temple that God has given to us, our own body, then I, I believe that that's careless and that, that's reckless. I believe that when you properly take care of yourself and you get rest, you get proper rest and proper nourishment, then you can have a greater influence on other people. When I go to third world countries, I'm very careful with what I eat. And there's, some time, there's been times where I've unintentionally offended people because I looked at the food 
food, and I knew if I eat that food, I'm going to be sick to my stomach. I'm sure it will taste good, but I have been in other countries where I was so sick to my stomach that I couldn't, I, I was stuck at where I was staying, and I thought to my, I, eventually I learned a lesson in that because I'm like, you know, I didn't want to offend that person, but now I'm here laying in a bed, sick to my stomach, and I feel like I can't preach tonight. And so I had to learn that, hey, I have to take care of myself. It might make people upset. I'll try to do it with as much grace. I'll try not to cause unnecessary offense, but I have to take care of myself so that I can do whatever God has called me to do and I can complete that work that God has called me to do. So the Lord told the disciples, what's interesting is he doesn't even acknowledge, they're all telling, they're, they're telling them what they did and what they taught. What's interesting, Jesus, he didn't, you know, give them an applause and say, well, that's great. You know, praise God. Keep doing what you're doing. No, he said, okay, now it's time for you to come apart into a desert place. We have a saying that in ministry, sometimes you have to come apart before you come apart. Sometimes you've got to separate. And that's something I wanted to talk about is that in ministry, it's important to set healthy boundaries. There are boundaries that you have to set in ministry because if you don't set those boundaries, then you will get drained and you will be spread so thin that you can suffer burnout and you might feel like quitting ministry altogether. And so there is a healthy, uh, there's wisdom and there are healthy boundaries that God will help you to place in your life to where you can love people and yet you're also so uh, you're taking care of yourself. A couple more things I want to talk about here tonight is uh, overcoming inadequacies. This is another challenge in ministry, overcoming inadequacies. Inadequ inadequacy is simply the feeling that you're not enough. It's simply the feeling that you don't measure up, you're not enough. Moses, he's a great example of somebody who God greatly used, who felt inadequate. God, he answered the prayers of his people, the Israelites, and he chose Moses to deliver them out of Egyptian bondage. You're familiar with the story. Moses, he asked, well, who am I that I should go? God told him, I will be with you. And he asked, well, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And then God, he demonstrated that he would use miracles and signs to prove himself. And then Moses, he starts telling God, he said, well, I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. And God, he responded and said, who made man's mouth? Have not I the Lord? Now go and I will tell you what you shall say. Hallelujah. And so Moses, he was telling God, will you please send somebody else? But Moses, he, he, even though he felt totally inadequate, he ended up leading God's people to freedom. You see, God will equip those who obey him. When you respond to the call of God, no matter how inadequate that you feel, God will equip you to carry out the work that he has called you to do. Another example is Gideon. When, when the Israelites were uh, suffering under the oppression of the Midianites, God sent an angel to Gideon and he told Gideon that the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Gideon, he started to question God and ask him, then why have all of these things happened to us? And then the angel persisted and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hand. And the Lord said, I will be with you and will strike down all of the Midianites and will leave none of them alive. And so eventually Gideon obeyed and he became a mighty warrior who rescued God's people. One more example is Jeremiah. Jeremiah was somebody who said that uh, he did not know how to speak and that he was too young for God to use him, but yet Jeremiah ended up serving as one of God's greatest prophets. Hallelujah. Amen. 
And so no matter what the inadequacy might be that you're facing, God, he will equip you. When he calls you to do something, he will equip you. And that calling will override any inadequacy. And usually when you feel the most inadequate, it's when you're in a position where you have to trust God. And then you'll see that what's happening is of the Lord and not of us. One more thing I want to mention, another challenge in ministry is staying focused on the vision. Staying focused on the vision. Paul, he said that he was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I believe that a healthy leader has a clear vision. A healthy leader has a vision for the future. Now, every ministry has, every ministry values something. Every ministry has values. Not all values are intentional. Not all values are spoken or written down or even clearly articulated, but all ministries have values. And every ministry ought to identify what they value. In other words, what, what's most important to us? What is our, what is our mission? What is, our, what is our goal? Because when you figure out what you value, then it's time to lead toward your values as if everything depends on it. Why? Because it does. I'll say that again. That once you figure out what you value, it's time to lead toward the, your values as if everything depends on it because it truly does. You ought to determine what, what's most important to me in ministry. My, I would say for me, it's reaching the lost. And so that ought to be what you, everything is geared toward, reaching the unsaved with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes when you, uh, sometimes churches and ministry, they have a, a toxic culture. Maybe they're not reaching the lost. Maybe they're not uh, reaching the unsaved. Maybe they're not, you know, maybe it's just an unhealthy uh, culture. One thing that I've learned is that ministries don't change, people change. When people change, the ministry changes. And so if you want the change, if you want to change the culture, then it starts with the people. Now, there are only two times that people will change. Number one, when they want to, or number two, when they have to. When they want to, or when they have to. Some think that people hate change, but usually that's not it. People usually don't hate change. They usually just don't like the way we try to change them. You see, it's important for people to see why the change is necessary. It's important for people to know why the change is necessary. I think about churches from the 80s, uh, churches that, that did things a certain way, and they say, you know, bless God, we've always done it this way, and we're always going to do, do it this way. And then their church dies out, and then they're literally not reaching anybody. And I would just love to ask them the question, was it worth it? You see, I believe that we ought to marry the mission, but date the model. The mission, it never changes. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, but the model may not remain the same all the time. What works today may not work tomorrow. And so change is inevitable, but progress is optional. I'll say that again, that change is inevitable, but progress is optional. A lot of churches die out because they're not willing to, and I've seen this oftentimes, I've shared this before, that oftentimes uh, people will be critical of other churches because of things that they're doing, 
And then years down the road, then they start doing it themselves because they see the value in it. And so they just led from behind on the issue. And I always thought, well, what if they have the wisdom to actually lead from ahead and realize that, hey, this is a good opportunity to reach the loss without compromising the word. So sometimes you have to compromise your preferences. Sometimes you have to compromise your tradition. Sometimes you have to compromise just things that you're accustomed to that aren't from the word of God. But your biggest priority should be reaching the lost. How can I bring more souls into the kingdom of God? Because if you're doing something a certain way and you're not reaching the next generation, then there's something wrong with the way that you're doing things. Because there is a way to effectively reach this next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ without compromising the word of God. There is a way to reach the lost without compromising the truth of God's word. And so we ought to ask the Lord and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. God, what can I do in 2022 to reach this next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I might get criticized for it. I might get, as Brother Swagger says, lambasted, uh, lampooned, laughed at, leered at, but that's okay. Just go forward in the mighty name of Jesus. Don't focus on the critics. Focus on the lost. Focus on reaching the unsaved. And then when you're actually accomplishing things for the kingdom of God and souls are getting saved, usually I've seen that those people come back around and they say, God bless you. You're doing a great work for the Lord. Well, why didn't you support in the process? Why didn't you support along the way? Is it afraid? Were you afraid of being criticized? Were you afraid of getting labeled this and labeled that? You've got to tune out that criticism and get in tune with the Spirit of God and say, Lord, what can I do to help lead people into the kingdom of God? And let me say this, that some will oppose change, and those who oppose change are always the loudest, but that doesn't mean that their opinion means the most. I'll say that again. Some will oppose change, and those who oppose are the loudest, but that doesn't mean their opinion means the most. And one challenge for any leader in ministry is to discern what needs to be changed. Some have a problem but don't know it. Others may have a problem, but they just don't care. They are tolerating the problem. Now, if you have a problem and you're tolerating the problem, the problem is no longer the problem, you are the problem. Remember, you are a CPS, you are a chief problem solver. That's your job. You know, when you say, our people would never, that's a forbidden phrase in ministry. Uh, the people will never, our people will never. You should totally change that mindset and say, we have not yet led our people to. You see, people, will work hard for a what, but they'll give their life for a why. When they understand why you're doing what you're doing, when they understand what your goal is and what your mission is, which is to reach lost, unsaved people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then they'll get on board. And so you ought to let people know why you're doing what you're doing, and that ought to get everybody on board and say, you know what, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to reach the unsaved. And you know, I found that people won't know good, how good the new is until they let go of the old. And we as leaders, we embrace change as a part of who we are. You never change the word of God. You never compromise the word of God. You never compromise the truth of the word of God. But if we in leadership want to see people change and want to see a change in their life, we ought to lead in that. We ought to be willing to change ourselves, and we ought to go to the altar first and say, Lord, how do you want to change me? 
how can you change me to make me more effective in reaching the unsaved? And going back to Daniel last Wednesday night, when you get an excellent spirit like Daniel had, Daniel, he had an excellent spirit. You're, not everyone's going to be your cheerleader. Not everyone's going to be there clapping you along the way and say, great job, Brother Marty. Preach on, Brother Marty. Good teaching, Brother Marty. Not everybody will do that, but it's okay. It's, they don't have to. You don't, you don't need that. Just when you focus on having an excellent spirit and reaching the unsaved and saying, Lord, do that work in me first. Change whatever you want to change. I think that to discern what needs to change, you have to watch what is happening and what's not happening, and you have to listen to what is being said and what is not being said. That's usually how you can discern what needs to change. And I, I keep an eye on a lot of ministries, a lot of churches out there, even ones I'm not fond of, because I can learn from the way anybody is doing things, either, either what is healthy or what is unhealthy, what you can implement to help and then what to steer away from. And so I believe in, in being willing to learn, being willing to grow, being willing to, you know, uh, develop as a leader. And the greatest leader is Jesus himself. God has given us examples throughout the word of God as leaders, great leaders. And I believe that when God calls you into ministry, that he wants to develop you. And Jesus, he's the greatest example of, of, of an empowering leader. Jesus, he chose 12 men and he spent three and a half years investing in them, teaching them. They were growing, they were learning. And then after three and a half years, he told them, he said, go out and change the world. Hallelujah. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And a disciple is a learner. A disciple never stays stagnant. A disciple is always growing, is always learning, is always saying, Lord, show me uh, something new. Show me something fresh. Show, show me something I've never seen before. I don't know about you, but I've got a burden for this next generation, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to reach this next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Critics will come, pundits will come, but it doesn't matter. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. Hallelujah. Go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't focus on the billy goats. Focus on the sheep. Focus on those who come for the right reason. Focus on those who have the right spirit. Focus on those who have, have tuned into the vision, who have gotten on board with the missions and said, I want the same. I want to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm willing to lay aside every tradition. I'm willing to lay aside every custom. I'm willing to lay aside every preference, every bit of religion. I'm willing to lay it down on the altar. God, use me for your glory. Hallelujah. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Singers and musicians can come back here tonight. I feel that here tonight. Glory to God. We've got a generation to reach. The devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but Jesus has come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I always want to keep that as the apex of my endeavor to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature.